right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio Podcast Number Twenty Three: Reckoning from the Corrupted Numerical System that We All Use. Hope you are all doing well out there. Nine <clears throat> Eleven came and went. There was no big show on the news. Uh, the number fifteen was very popular. Fifteen years after, or what were they saying? Fifteen September's after September Eleven. Uh, I walked outside while I was recording part of this on September 11th, which was yesterday, and I saw they were having a 100k bike or a 100 mile bike ride, and in the middle of it, I heard all these motorcycles coming and a police escort, a bunch of police motorcycles, lights going, uh, were escorting motorcycles. Then for about 30 minutes, a solid line of motorcycles went through flying their red, white, and blue, I assume a tribute to 9-11. And I thought to myself, foolish people. These people are not challenging what they should be challenging. They're hearing things, accepting it as true, and then making all these decisions based in error. These are not bad people. Of course not. They're people that have been fooled by a deceptive system. As a matter of fact, uh, I noticed that on some of the cable channels, uh, The Force Awakens, the new Star Wars movie, was released <laughs> at 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. So it was uh, 9-11 in London, of course. But I bring up 9-11 because as 9-11 approached, I decided to do a little test and go to the television guide and start looking at run times and dates for movies. And sure enough, <laughs> as soon as I got past midnight on the 10th, uh, the run times of movies and the year of creation or release date were all encoding nines and ones, making their 9-11 game. As an example, on Turner Classic Movies, there was an old Japanese import movie called Hari Kiri, or Hara Kiri. I think in some countries it was released under the name Seppuku. People are more familiar with the word Harry Kiri, probably, where you, know, you gut yourself with the, the short samurai sword. But it was Hara Kiri, and according to Turner Classic Movies, it was released in 1963. But according to the internet, it was released in 1962. Um, as a matter of fact, when you go look up the original IMD database and all these other things, it was released in 62. But there's Turner Classic Movies presenting it as 63 to get their ones and nines. But this movie has a tale to tell. Indeed it does, indeed it does. The fun never ends. It's quite a good movie, actually. Matter of fact, one of the better movies I've seen in a long time. And I have I did see part of it, or maybe most of it, a long time ago. But check this out. So there's a whole intrigue story around a samurai and his family. But at the very beginning of the movie, the first samurai that kicks off the story informs the taiko, or daimyo, whatever it was, one of the big men in the community, that he is from the Fukushima clan in Hiroshima. I kid you not. Do you recognize what's going on here? Fukushima had a nuclear accident, we are told. Hiroshima had a nuclear bomb, we are told. 
So here encoded in this movie with all the 9-11 symbolism released on the September 11th for American viewership, the date changed to uphold the 9s and 11s needed in the date and runtime, the runtime being 136 minutes, the changed release date being 1963, the true release date being 62. And here in the storyline in the very opening, a gentleman is saying, I am from the Fukushima clan of Hiroshima. So I went online to try to figure out if the Fukushima clan ever resided in Hiroshima. And guess what? If you put Fukushima and Hiroshima in a search engine, you can find nothing other than the false news that was generated from the hoax nuclear bomb drop of uh, World War II and from the Fukushima hoax uh, where they grabbed all that land as they did in Chernobyl. For those of you that do not understand, nukes are a hoax hoax maybe you should go look at anthony bourdain where he takes his little film crew into chernobyl with a little x-ray badge on and they're all fine as long as they don't hang out for more than 45 minutes or an hour or whatever it is um it's all nonsense if you go look at these things but the encoding of our world is i mean it's laughable to me at this point it used to really get me down i guess Uh, But when you really begin to examine it, it's a bit like pathetic junior high school kids um, doing things they shouldn't be doing to the detriment of others. And before I move on, I should mention um, what got me looking at Fukushima or the supposed nuclear disaster at Fukushima uh, was after the fact I had realized that there was a group of samurai, we are told historical samurai, that had always been in Fukushima. And of course, this is echoed to some degree, the name Fukushima in the movie I just mentioned, Harakiri. But up to the, just before the time of the supposed nuclear accident, they were still, I guess, annually reenacting with authentic hundred year old armor and, you know, all the accoutrements of samurai, historically accurate and actually handed down from generation to generation, these samurai were in the Fukushima area. And that's what got me looking because, of course, the samurai were the military arm of the rulers. And uh, that's always a key thing to look at. But anyhow, let's move on a little bit as this episode is going to be about masonry, the encoding of religions, and uh, astronomy. So I'm going to jump in with talking a little bit about things that the Catholic, or the uh, Vatican has done, uh, which is almost like do as I say, not as I do. Let's take the word pagan, for example. The Vatican made pagan a bad word, but anyone can look it up and come to the conclusion that the actual meaning of the word is something to the effect, depending on what definitions you're looking at. It's a country dweller, a person who understands and lives in nature. And while the Vatican is turning pagan into a bad word, at the very same time, they are taking all the pagan mythologies, all the pagan symbolisms, all the pagan everything, and encoding it into the things they're using in a now Christian or so-called Christian manner. Anyone can go look at the statuary all around the Vatican and understand you're looking at Hercules or, you know, any number of pagan things, not to mention the obelisks. Um... They're tracking the sun there. So when the Vatican starts to talk about preaching the acceptable year of our Lord, they are in fact uh, tracking the sun. 
You know, other things that the Vatican does that we can see openly without too much work, well, let's take uh, Ash Wednesday. I think it's Ash Wednesday. Hope I have that right. As an example, um, they're taking year-old ashes from a palm and smearing them over your third eye or your pineal gland, which in all ancient traditions is required for human beings to, to get higher abilities. When we look at these things uh, and we just accept them, therein lies the problem. If we stop and take a minute and question what's going on, um, maybe we can get a little more value. I mean, really, what is smearing ashes over your pineal gland? What is that about? So let's move on to the calendar a little bit, because what I talk about predominantly in the second hour is going to relate directly to this. Our calendar is our sense of time. Is it not? It divides up the seasons. It gives us a way to know where we are within the year, or according to religion, the acceptable year of our Lord. But there's a fly in the ointment, of course. We are told that Pope Gregory and before him, Julius Caesar, jacked up our calendar. Part of how they did this, we are told, is that the first of the year used to be properly placed in March at the spring equinox. When we are told the sun is coming over the equator, life will spring anew, no more, no more ice and snow, uh, animals will be having their young nesting, we'll be planting our crops so that we can eat, um, all these things, that's where the first of the year used to be marked. And then we are told Julius Caesar jacked it back to January, or January, which also has a relation to Janus, and of course St. Peter, which I'll get to in a minute. The thing about this is that it seems completely evident that the first of the year should be at the spring equinox. That seems a no-brainer. And as a matter of fact, we can look at historical examples that show those in charge kind of making fun of the people who did not accept the change. As an example, the term April Fools, we're told, comes from Rome by the very people who jacked up the calendar and they were derisively making fun of the people who were still marking the first of the year at the equinox in spring and a month later still celebrating, hence being called April Fools. So we can see these things. But let's look a little bit of the encoding um, of the pagan traditions with the religious traditions of the Vatican that relate directly to our calendar. And I would preface this all by saying you can see uh, another way that our calendar was jacked up. As an example, uh, look at September. Sept is seven. Well, we are told September is the ninth month. If you were to reckon from the equinox in spring, it would be the seventh month, and it still holds the name Sept. How about October? That should be the eighth month reckoning from the spring equinox. Then we have Deca, December should be the 10th. You can see these things still residing in the names of the months that we never take the time to think about. And for that matter, each day of the week, of course, is also encoded proving that these things were actually tied to the path of the sun um, and in a real sense, the actual calendar. The sun marks where we are in the season. The zodiac signs do this. So all the people out there who have been convinced the zodiac is a useless hokum, well, in fact, it actually demonstrates when the sun is in a certain of the 12 zodiac signs, it tells you accurately what portion of the year you are. It tells you when you've come to an equinox or a solstice, and those are the only true divisions of a year.
the real divisions of a year that tell you when it is no longer spring, it is summer. When it is no longer summer, it is autumn, and so on. Um, those are the true divisions, and the days of the week still encode these, these ideas with Saturday, Saturn Day, or the day that everybody goes to church, which the Vatican originally set the tradition, I believe, uh, not 100% sure about that, but I, I think it's, it's true, uh, as Sunday, the day of the sun, when we are told that the Sabbath is Saturday, and so much of the religious texts talk about keeping the Sabbath holy, well, I'll tell you what, the day of the sun or Sunday is not the Sabbath. And in the Christian religious traditions, you can still go read about the importance of the Sabbath. So this kind of makes the point that I'm getting at here. But I will quickly outline what the supposed encoding of certain saints to certain months was to preach the acceptable year of our Lord. January was St. Peter, which corresponds with Aquarius in the pagan, what would be considered pagan zodiac. But again, the only accurate way to know where you are, because the, when the sun's in Aquarius, you know what month you're in. February, St. Judas Iscariot, and the fishes would correspond. Now here, I'm going to talk about this more in a minute. St. Peter of January and Aquarius's brother is March St. Andrew. Okay? And March, of course, is the sheep or the ram. I'll get back to this. April, St. Matthew, the bull... And, of course, those of you who are familiar with the symbols constantly used for the four Gospels, uh, what it is, it's the bull, the man, the eagle, and, uh, sorry, I can't think of it right now, and that's pretty bad. I had it written down at some point, but you can see the correspondence there. Um, anyhow, moving on. May is John, the, the, the John, which was the disciple that Jesus loved. June is Thomas, or Didymus. And this is directly rising out of the twins, or Gemini. July was James the Greater. August is Judas, but the Judas that was the brother of James. September is James the Lesser, also surnamed Oblia, or Oblia. I imagine it's Oblia, uh, holding the scales of Libra, balance and justice. October was Nathaniel, who Christ saw under a fig tree. You know, he was gathering the remaining fruits of the year, of course. Nathaniel, of course he is, because it's October. The harvest is over. And he was called by Philip, and November is Philip, whose name, his very name, signifies lover of horses. And, of course, we have Sagittarius, who is half horse. So these are the encodings that have gone on, and I should stop and, and look up the symbolism that's so predominant everywhere for the four gospel, supposed gospel writers. Uh, oh, it's, it's the bull, the eagle, the man, and man, it's still escaping me, that's pathetic. But anyhow, I'll, I'll get back to that um, in a minute. And by the way, uh, it is reckoned by some of the older books and documents that I've read that at one time the eagle was actually... Uh, corresponding with Scorpio, but uh, I may or may not address that. Currently, we, we see it as the eagle. So let me keep on moving, and I'm going to jump into some proofs that the Vatican is, in fact, encoding all these pagan things, which they have said is bad. Pagan is bad, according to the Vatican, but they were doing it. And I will demonstrate this by using St. Peter, who is January, and St. Andrew, his brother, who is March. So you may notice what's in common between these two, because St. Peter, in January, is the new first of the year. His brother 
St. Andrew, afforded equal respect in some ways, was the old first of the year in March. And I will do this by demonstrating using the statuary that can be seen at the Vatican, and I will tell you what it is encoding. Okay, so we're going to talk a minute about a statue of St. Andrew at the Vatican. As a matter of fact, it might have to do with St. Paul's Cathedral. I'm not sure, but anyhow, anyone can look it up um, if they do a search for St. Andrew. It can, you can recognize him because he's standing in front of this weird cross that looks like an X. And what that X actually is is called the saltier cross. It's a goniometer. It's two compasses, hence the Masonic influence, two compasses brought together. And what they measure is the angle of the sun crossing what's called the the uh, equator. Now this occurs, of course, at equinoxes. And at an equinox, for those who are unaware, um, the length of a day and night is equal. Hence, equinox, equal night. For some reason, they doesn't say equal day, it says equal night. But this is a critical time. Because within the acceptable year of the Lord, with which we all reside within, there are only two days when there are equal day and night. And these are at the equinoxes. Um, there is allegory or analogy of these times uh, to mean justice. When everything is in balance, equal, the scales of September or Libra, you see. That's where these things come from. But knowing this, uh, you should further understand that St. Andrew is the brother of St. Peter, who represents January, where they jacked up the calendar and moved the new first of the year to January, Andrew, Andrew being the true first of the year, before it was changed. So there you can see the pagan influences, and it actually goes further because um, there are claims that the Greek name for Hercules, or one of the uh, Greek name for Andrew, is Hercules. And you can go look at the statuary at the Vatican, and you will find there are maybe more than one. I know there's at least one where there's a man holding a club, and he has a lion. Well, that, of course, is Hercules from the ancient pagan myths and traditions, because that is the, what's it called, the Cleonian lion skin, and he's holding the club. It identifies him as such. So anyhow, as we move in, uh, we're going to talk about all this kind of encoding into the Christian tradition, where at the same time we're being told by the Vatican that these pagan myths and personages, uh, pagan is bad, and yet it is all encoded straight into the Christian tradition that the Vatican handed us. As a matter of fact, I was reading not too long ago that the word nun in Hebrew means fish. And they were trying to correspond it to the sign of Pisces or the age of Pisces. And those old enough to remember are very familiar with in the 60s, the kind of hippie peace love generation hearkening. Uh, this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius, you see. Um, there's something behind all these encodings. But let's move on. And, and there's actually one more thing I should talk about the goniometer, the saltier cross, or the two compasses brought together to measure the angle of the sun coming over the equator at the equinoxes. The equinoxes are the basis for the religious encoding of righteousness and justice, um, and that's through the Masonic point of view. Okay, I'm not telling you what I believe, I'm telling you what the higher Masonic texts were meant to encode. Here's an interesting thing. In the 1800s, um, the angle of the sun coming across the equator 
was 23 degrees and 28 minutes. And at the time, they had compared it with supposedly Ptolemy's time. And uh, they found that it was decreasing one degree every hundred years, meaning that in 140,000 years, that compass wouldn't have any angle to it. It would just be flat. In other words, uh, the path of the sun and, and the uh, equator being perfectly level with each other, which would mean in 140,000 years, uh, it would be completely equinoxes every day. Well, what does that mean? If you think about that, well, for one thing, it means no summer, no autumn, no winter. It means every day is equal day and equal night. And that's the idea for justice and righteousness. Um, think of living in this world where there is no winter. You know, for when I lived in San Diego, it probably wouldn't have meant much to me when I thought about it because there's not really many seasons there. But here on the East Coast, yeah, it's a big damn deal when everything freezes. For me, I, I, it sucks. I don't like it. <laughs> you know, I grew up in a place where I didn't have to deal with it. But in terms of producing food or anything else, you can't do those things after the fall. So this idea that there was a coming time as the measurement using two compasses back-to-back -back called a goniometer measured supposedly we are told that every hundred years that angle was closing up to become a flat line in a hundred and forty thousand years roughly uh, a time of complete justice and righteousness uh, encoded into that because man you could grow anything anytime you're not gonna freeze you're not gonna get too hot you're not none of that just an equal balanced equinox all the time so I just wanted to mention that before I move on all right, so moving on, um, in the second half of this show, which will be on Crow777radio.com, uh, I'm going to cover a lot of things um, that were apparently drawn from one of the highest main Masonic texts. Um, a lot of this information I've been able to cross-reference in more than one places, and you know I'll talk about that as I say these things. Um, a lot of it is drawn from a book called The Devil's Pulpit, written by the Reverend Robert Taylor. What you should know about the Reverend Robert Taylor is he was jailed twice by the Crown for blasphemy. We are told that he was a surgeon in his own right, and he had a gift for oratory, so he went to divinity school and was trained either to the masters or basically what equivocates to a, a P or equivalent to a PhD level in divinity from the Vatican, and he was an expert astronomer and spoke multiple, like five or six languages, which is very key in all this. Now, we are told within the texts, and actually there are some actual charges in the book, The Devil's Pulpit, which were, I guess, Xerox copied, and it was the charges brought against him from the sermons he was giving that outed what the Catholic Church had been doing under the guise of secret societies and Freemasonry, encoding with pagan and basically information about the sun into all the religion that they were handing out to the people following the Catholic Church. That's what, what got him jailed twice. Matter of fact, the second time he finally gave up because he was put in the poorhouse and had to get married even just to survive or something like this. I've forgotten. But we learned that supposedly there were two of the highest level Masonic books that made it into England at that time. And it's strange because that's how it's phrased. Made it into England at that time. We're further told that one of those copies went to three men who held the highest above royal arch degrees in Masonry. There were only three men in England at the time. I think 
it is supposed to be the king, one of the dukes, and another upper crust societal man. And the other copy ended up in the hands of the Reverend Robert Taylor, which is how he claims he was able to crack all this. But I have gone through the astronomical knowledge, the astronomy, and everything he says, as far as I can tell, is absolutely true. The dates of, say, Virgo coming over the horizon for the first time, it's all accurate. And this is not always an easy thing to do because you'll hear things like people making a claim in the 1800s, the equinox was on the 25th or something, and you're all, wait a minute, the equinox should be 21, anyhow, it's a whole thing. And besides the fact, the other day I was on space.com, and there was actually an article stating why they were constantly announcing or had announced the equinox 24 hours too late. And this whole article was about no big deal. Well, yeah, it is a big deal. People deserve to know when the equinoxes are. They are a big deal. They are the only true reckoning of time with the solstices. And, you know, space.com was making this whole thing. But anyhow, these two top Masonic texts, um, apparently one of them coming into the hands of the Reverend Robert Taylor, who completely goes against the Vatican because he discovers the lies they have been telling, according to these publications. And again, I was able to correlate with other sources uh, some of the information, and then some of it is just simply what he is claiming flat out he was able to deduce with this top Masonic text, one of two in England at the time, astronomy and, uh, and the religion coming out of the Vatican. The interesting thing is, is when all is said and done, the book ends up saying what I have said all along, that these secret societies all owe their origin to Isis, Osiris, and the mystery schools of Egypt. They are no different than the Greek Elysian mysteries, the Dionysian mysteries, even the mysteries of Bacchus. They are all the same thing. And I had said this for a long time before um, I even had dug too deeply into the Reverend Robert Taylor's writings, or what are called sermons. Because what happened was, he ended up publishing, or the book The Devil's Pulpit was published, he was in a place called the Rotunda, telling everybody what he had discovered, and the Vatican labeled him the Devil's Preacher, and that if you went to the Rotunda to listen to this man, you were going to burn in hell. Hence the name of his book, The Devil's Pulpit. And again, he was jailed twice. But uh, I did remember the encoding of the four gospel characters, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Of course, it's the lion, the bull, the eagle, and the man. Um, you see that the heads of these things encoded in a lot of the old cathedrals and art and other things. Um, Reverend Robert Taylor and others, by the way, had drawn the corollary that it was absolutely related to the four royal stars uh, in astronomy that, again, marked the seasons. Those four stars being Regulus, known as the little king, Formal Halt, which is Arabic, Arabic for the little fish's mouth, Aldebaran, which is Arabic for the bullseye, of course, and Antares, the scorpion's heart, which, of course, I mentioned earlier uh, that the encoding was changed to make it not so obvious it was a scorpion at one time, apparently. And it changed to the eagle, or something of this nature. But anyhow, the end kind of conclusion of Reverend Robert Taylor holding the highest level Masonic text that ever made it into England in the 1800s, we are told, the other being with the king, a duke, and a rich guy, uh, the, the three highest ranking Masons above Royal Arch, uh, we are told. Uh, it's about the sun. That's what they are encoding. 
the acceptable year of our Lord as encoded by the secret societies. Now I'm going to cover the rest of this in the second part on crow777radio.com because a few things are certain in this life and if we cover this material on YouTube it will turn into an absolute clown show. All the people who were concerned with religion and why everyone doesn't believe why they do or that these ideas shouldn't even be expressed because it goes against how they view Christianity or any other Jewishness for that matter. Uh, the religion of the Jews is covered in this extensively. Well, of course, the Old Testament, the first five books are, you know, that, that's the same thing, the Jewish religion, the Torah. Having said this, I will cite my sources where I can. The Devil's Pulpit is a big part of it, and um, the astronomy, I will mention one more time. I looked it up. It's spot on. Even uh, correlating the goniometer that I talked about earlier and how the sun comes across across the equator, it all lines up. It's a very interesting set of ideas. And again, it's information. I'm not asking you to accept this. I'm telling you it is an ancient account of people who did their best to out what secret societies and Freemasonry had done with astronomy and religion. And I suggest you challenge it, or if you think it's nonsense, walk away. Okay, in closing, here are the things we talk about in the second part on Crow777Radio.com. We talk about Freemasonic or Freemasonry, the Masonic lodges, initiation levels, um, what it means to get to the Royal Arch degrees, what it means to be lower, the supposed beginnings of Masonry, um, and this is from three different people over a hundred years ago who tried to delve into where they came from. Um, and I'll give you a hint. Uh, in my view, I think the one that's closest is the guy who claims it goes back to Pythagoras um, because uh, Isis, Osiris, and all that stuff is clearly the beginning of, of all of it. Um, Devil's Pulpit, the book, the Reverend Robert Taylor, the Elysian Mysteries, the Dionysian Mysteries, Isis, Osiris, Buddhism, Hinduism, and again, initi initiation levels. Um, the use by Freemasonry of the words Christian, Jew, Israelite, and Hebrew we talk and outline possibly what the acceptable year of our Lord is. The sun, the equinox, the solstice, the epistle to the Hebrews. We talk about free and accepted Mason and the royal arch degrees. We talk about the biblical Abraham, the Hebrew. We talk about Bacchus um, as one of the ancient mystery schools along with the animal sacrifice. We talk about hell, which was allegorized in as winter. Uh, the Zodiac, and then we talk a bit about the false celebrity death and how it's encoded in the very same calendrical way. And believe it or not, we even divulge what's maybe the ultimate secret of Freemasonry to include the Masonic pa passwords, which should only be known by the highest members. And to put that in context, apparently in the 1800s, there were only three people who knew the higher secret in, in London. In England, there were only three people that knew the highest Masonic secrets, and that was the Duke of, I think, Sussex, some guy named Carlisle, and I believe, uh, though his modesty prevents him from identifying the third person, it's the king. So there are only three people out of all those Masons who had the, the top thing. We talk about the Tetragrammaton uh, on top of the cross of Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, the Masonic use of INRI. We talk about archangels and the elements, earth, air, fire, water. Uh, we talk about the equator and the pagan rites and the Vatican. There's a heck of a lot. And uh, 
it's it's a very interesting show. Um, it's sure to be controversial, but it's just meant to be information. There it is. Hope to see you over at crow777radio.com. Cheers.